Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. I haven't had the opportunity in Colorado to do this, but down in Texas, um, ever so often, ever so often, and I'm probably gonna step on some toes, and that's okay, Ever so often, you know, you pull up to a day working deal and it's the first time this guy's ever come out there or something like that. And he gets out of the truck and he's got his cow dogs with him. And I tell you what, if there's a Murphy's Law about dogs, your dog can be the best dog that ever filled a pen, ever got, ever got onto a cow. It doesn't matter what happens. But when you go somewhere for the very first time and you've got dogs, you are going to get cussed out before the day is over because of your dogs. I guarantee you. There's this one time that we got there, and this guy had been asking to day work for a long time. And, you know, I, not to judge. That, that That's not what I'm, I'm doing by saying this. But, you know, we, we really didn't ever hear of him doing much. You know, we didn't really know if he was a hand or not. But, yeah, come on out, man, you know. Make a hand, get in line, fill a gap, whatever we need to do. And, boy, he pulls up in his trailer. And he jumps out, and these two cow dogs jump out. Two blue healers. Now, some of you just smiled because you've, you've worked cattle with blue healers before. And like Ralph Hager used to say, I can run a cow off. I don't know why you need a dog to do that. <laughs> and that was my, that was kind of what happened. But, you know, we, we gathered all of these. You know, we're going out, and, of course, these dogs are running around. And, you know, it's that nice, cool morning going through the brush. You're kind of whistling a little old tune, you know what I mean, as you're going down through there. And all you can hear is this fella, get over here, hey, hey cut that out. Through the whole morning, and you're just like, oh, my gosh. You know, so when you finally get to some cattle and you start pushing them that way, and, and this was in the fall work, so there was some calves and um, pretty big calves and everything that was getting ready to ship. And we got going down through there and everything, and... uh Ever so often, if you've never gathered cattle, this is what happens. You get a bunch of mama cows and their big old calves, and you start pushing them, and everything will go real good for a long time. You'll be going down the fence line, you know, you'll be swatting at some flies, thinking that you're, you know, Tom Mix reborn, that you're that good a cowboy, because everything is going so smooth. But unbeknownst to you, if you look real close in the herd, what happens is the young calves start creeping towards the middle, and then they're up to the front. And before you know it, you got all your young ones in the front and you got your cows in the back. And you, you know, every one of those has got that old cow that just kind of walks along and you're like, come on, sister, get up there. And you're trying to get her to speed up. And now you're, you're young calves. And before you know it, your cowboys start getting spread out just a little bit at first and then more and more and more. And that's what was happening this day. And sometimes on a cattle drive, what happens is you're never supposed to ride in front of anybody or anything like that. And so sometimes just as the as everything coalesces, you find yourself maybe in a spot that you shouldn't be. Because that first cowboy that's up there, maybe not the point rider, but the first one on the swing, he is responsible for a lot of stuff, like the speed of the herd and how fast you're going. Well, this guy and his two blue healer dogs, oh my gosh. We get up there, and I mean, guys, we're talking about, 12 square miles of gathering with about six cowboys. We had covered some ground. I mean, when it takes you, you know, two or three hours just to get across the pasture and get them bunched up and going to where you need to go, 
brush everywhere. And so we're going along, and we start getting strung out, and then, you know, he kind of lopes up to try to get in front of them, and then, you know, anytime a horse kind of loping along behind a cow, they'll start going faster. And before you know it, man, we are strung out, and all them big calves, they are high-tailing it. And, you know, that's where that term came from, because those tails are straight up in the air, and they are gone. And guess what them dogs did? Boy, here they go, right along behind them. And so we're going, and so now you got mama cows, or you got mama cows hollering for their calves. Now the cat, things are just going bad. But being that we were Tom Mix reborn, we got them all gathered back up. But boy, you can just feel the tension. I mean, you know, you can see those old cows. They kind of look at you and then they look past you. And you know, and I mean, it's just sometimes, guys, if you've never worked cattle, sometimes it is literally the difference between your horse's head being right here and right here determines whether or not you're going to pin something. I mean, it is that finite of a deal, especially when you got riled up cattle and everything like that. And we were all like, hold them, just let them settle down, let them settle down, let them settle down. And we started pushing them just ever so slightly. And we were right there at the pins, four hours worth of work right up to the pens and they were about to go in when them two dogs came out and thought it was their job to hold the gate them two dogs stood right in the gate and barked and scattered our cattle over nine or twelve sections of country and we had to start nearly all over again and if you think getting them there one time is hard try twice in one day needless to say that fella's dogs and that fella uh, we're not invited back, um, but that's just what happens. But you know, there's another type of dog that stands in the gate. Jesus said that the way to heaven is a narrow gate. And there's another type of dog that will stand in this gate and keep people from entering it. Jesus actually called them wolves. We're not talking about some little old wiener dog, okay? We're talking about a wolf. Big, bad, mean wolf. And Jesus said uh, in Matthew 10, 16, he said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Think about that. You know, a lot of times we read the Bible and it's just like, oh yeah, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, you know, and everything like that. I watched a video. This didn't have to do with a wolf, but it has to do with the bear. I watched a video yesterday of this guy and he's got his little cell phone and he's filming and everything. And I guess he's bear hunting. And this bear walks across there, and that bear starts sniffing and everything. And he's filming the bear. And maybe he's not hunting because he didn't shoot it. I mean, it was right there. And he's in a tree stand, and all of a sudden, that ba- he looks down, and that bear goes up to the tree and goes, whoo, whoo, right up the tree. And he's got his camera. I think he was hiding behind it. I don't think he was literally trying to film it. But he was filming it, and there's a big old black bear right there, and it's... It's a sniffing at him and everything. It would have been smelling caca because I would have done soiled myself. There ain't no doubt. He'd have been like, whoo, what is that up that tree? Oh, you made me ink. <laughs> but anyway, the bear finally, you know, kind of clowns down and he turns the camera around and he said, holy, and he said a bad word. But you know what? Just like that, we can read in the Bible, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Does that really strike fear into you? But what happens if you're out there by yourself and a pack of wolves is on you? Now things are a little different. Jesus meant that to be scary. He wasn't joking. Jesus wasn't saying, oh, 
Y'all listen to this joke. I'm going to send you out like sheep among wolves. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? No, he was deadly serious. What do you think wolves do to sheep? They kill them. But who are they? Who are the wolves? You know what? They're not the lost. They're not those that don't know Jesus. They're not those that are just running around living their own lives like they see fit and just they don't care about God. Those aren't the wolves, people. That is not the wolves. They are not the casual or church tender, a tender. You know, they're not the ones that, oh, yeah, I believe in God, but, you know, I'm going to go to church every now and then, you know. That's not who the wolves are. They're not the drug users. They're not the drunks. They're not in the penitentiary. Who are the wolves? They're the religious hypocrites. That is who the wolves are. Let me ask you a question. You know, I went back in my Bible, I went through all four Gospels, and and I'm not going to say that I read it word for word this time, but, you know, I mean, I've read those Gospels time and time again, but I went and I read, and I was looking through there to see if there was any time that Jesus had a horrible confrontation with a lost person. And I came across a couple of things. There was this one woman who was not a Jew, and she asked that Jesus heal her daughter, I believe it was, And Jesus looked at her and said, you know, we don't give the kids food to the dogs. Like, Dad, come, Jesus, that's kind of kind of rough, aren't you? And she smiled up at Jesus and she said, I understand that, Lord, but you know, even the dogs get some of the master's crumbs. And he said, man, he said, you are right with me. I like your faith. Your daughter's healed. And then there was another time that a rich guy walked up and he said, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, well, you got to keep all the commandments. He said, I've done that since I was a kid. He said, well, then you got to do this. And he said, I've done that. And he said, you got to do this. I've done that. But this was a rich guy. And he said, well, then what you have to do to enter the kingdom of heaven is you have to sell everything that you own and give it to the poor. And the guy walked off. Because Jesus knew in his heart he was trying to earn his way into heaven. I'm not saying that if you're rich that you have to sell everything you own and give it to the poor. Unless God's telling you to, then I suggest you do it. But what I'm saying, think about the woman at the well. Think about the woman who was caught in adultery and Jesus said, the you, you who have sinned shall cast the first stone. He said, just get up. He said, I'm not condemning you for what you've done. Just get up and go. Start living your life better. Did he sit there and preach her and wag his finger? No, he didn't do that. Who Jesus, when he was dealing with those that didn't know him, he was the most kind and considerate person, the most loving. He was God's word manifested into a man's flesh. And he loved them. And guess who killed him? Was it the lost? Hey, man, you know, we're a gang, and we're going to go out, and we're going to pick somebody and beat the snot out of him and kill him and crucify him. No, it wasn't that. Was it the Romans? Now, the Romans are the ones that nailed him up, but it wasn't. They didn't choose to. It was the religious hypocrites that killed Christ. It was the religious hypocrites that killed our Lord and Savior. The ones that held religion like a shotgun at the back of people's heads. And I think every single one of us have had a situation where you have had a run-in with a religious hypocrite, one that uses Bible verses and Scripture to condemn you and put themselves way up here. And I mean, literally, it's like they took a shotgun to the back of your head, and that's the way they made you feel. Those are the people that will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Those are the people standing in the gates keeping us from going in. Make no mistake about it. The ones that elevated themselves by pointing out other people's sin while boasting in how much they loved God and everything that they did for him. It's the religious hypocrites or the wolves that Jesus talked about. 
the ones who preached hard messages and made you feel like crap. Have you ever done that, had a conversation with a religious hypocrite, and you walk away going, man, if that's the way God is, I don't want no part of that crap. I think we all have. There are thousands and thousands of people that will not go to church. They will not darken a door. Some of them won't even profess their faith in Jesus Christ because of the hypocrites. And you know what? I'm sick of it. I'm sick of us cowardly Christians going around going, oh, well, you know, we just need to turn the other cheek and we don't need to do this. Just let them talk. It ain't no big deal. Man, somebody, they need a swift kick in the hind end. That's what I'm thinking. Jesus started out his ministry with eight phrases. They have been called to this day the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And they're all just these good, feel-good ways that Jesus is saying, man, this is how you should live your life. Just be nice to other people. Love God, love others. It's that simple. It really is that simple. And Jesus goes on and says eight ways of the characteristics that we should have in our life. And at the end of his ministry, after loving on so many people, in Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 13, it's what we call the seven woes. Now, when he says woe, he's like, I feel sorry for what you got coming. That's what woe means. We're not talking about the woe like your horse is running off. We're like, whoa, you're in a mess of trouble, fella. And that's what Jesus said. He said seven things. The woes were aimed at the religious hypocrites, at the wolves. They're keeping people away from that narrow gate that Jesus talked about. They stand in the gate and they turn people away. Matthew 23, 13 says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of us, and I think that we're all guilty if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, there has all been a point in our lives where we pictured Jesus as this little guy that just walked around, oh, bless you, oh, bless you. He probably walked with little steps. Just walked around healing people. Oh, do you need healed? Here, I'll heal you. Man, that is the farthest from the truth. Jesus was like an MMA cage fighter. This dude was tough. He didn't care who you were. He was going to proclaim the good news to you that is found in him. He was going to tell you exactly what God thought about everything. And it was all about love. It was all about forgiveness. John 3, 16, we talked about it last week. For God so loved the world, Jesus is saying this. Can you imagine this? And I don't know if he was a big guy, but you ain't got to be big to be tough. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then he goes on to say, for God did not send me down here to condemn you, but to save you. So if Jesus didn't come down here to condemn us, but to save us, then why do we listen to these religious hypocrites that are always wagging their finger in your face? Well, you should repent. You should shut your mouth before I shut it for you. I'm tired of this cowardly Christianity. As a matter of fact, I coined a new phrase, and we're going to be going over these seven woes. It's called hypocristianity. And you know what? It's rampant. It is rampant. There are churches out there that don't know God for anything. They're like religious hypocrite clubs. Some of you have been to some of them. I've been in some of them. And you know what? They're not just in Denver. They're not just in New York. They're not just in... Uh, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're keeping people. They're standing in the gate. 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. They're standing in the gate. You going to let them? Many of you say, well, I ain't going to let anybody stand between me and God. But think about it. There's people watching on the internet right there. I've had thousands, or not thousands, but probably dozens of conversations this week about religious hypocrisy. And you know what they did? They came out. There wasn't a lot of them. There are about six or seven that are trying to crucify me right now because I called them on it. I, call, I mean, I got three emails this morning stating of what a local guy is trying to do to me right now, saying that if y'all go here, that you're going to hell because I'm a false prophet. And I was like, so he's, doesn't the Bible say, out of your mouth flows the true nature of your heart? Have you ever heard me say anything bad about anybody personally? No. He's trying to condemn me and ruin me? Yeah. <laughs> you're going to believe that? Look at the body of work. The religious hypocrites hate it when you call them on it. They stand in the gate and they keep people. They're not going in and they're not going to, they're going to try their best not to let you go in either. How do they do that? How does one man or one woman stand in a gate and keep thousands from knowing the grace, love, and forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ? How do they do it? They'll use scripture to condemn you. Has anybody ever said that they use some scripture to make you feel bad about yourself? Oh, there's a place in hell reserved for people like that. There is. I can't stand it. If I say anything to you, I want it to be in love and in encouragement and the grace and forgiveness that is found in Christ. I'm not going to wag my finger at y'all. Jesus said that before I can do that, I've got to get the plank out of my eye before I worry about the speck in yours. And I promise you, my loop has a thousand misses and my ride has had millions of falls. And I ain't perfect yet, but one day I will be. And I want you there with me. Religious hypocrisy, the Bible was not meant to hit people with and condemn people with, especially other Christians. Can you believe that? Sheep are the only ones that will, well, it's not the sheep, it's the wolves, try to devour other wolves, or other sheep, I'm sorry. They use scripture to condemn you and make you feel bad, and make you think that God is, is angry, and that you've got to do all of this stuff to get right with him. And of course, you know, they say, I had a guy tell me, well, I'll get to that in a minute. They will try to convince you that God does not love you because you sin. Paul in Romans said, and while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. No one is good, not one. Jesus said, he who is without sin shall cast the first stone. Go, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. We should all be working on that. We shouldn't do some of the things that we do. But there was only one perfect man. We will never be free of sin. Meaning, we'll be free from the grasp of sin. But make no mistake about it. You know... We're flawed. That's why we need a Savior to save us. That's the good news. Don't let anybody tell you that God does not love you, and I don't care what you're doing. He loves you. They make up rules and turn away from God. Everybody's heard one of these at some point in their life. So many of you have probably already seen this, but I'm going to tell the rest of you. You know there's an ant bed, right? Nearly everybody at some point in their life has probably been bitten by an ant, and it hurts, hurts bad. But how many times have we walked by an anthill 
and for no better reason just gone and kicked it. Well, I did that with the religious hypocrites. I kicked their anthill just to see how many come out. And oh my gosh, there's a bunch of them. <laughs> Has everybody seen the, the most interesting man in the world commercials for the Dos Equis beer? I mean, nearly everybody's probably seen that. They're kind of funny. I mean, they're just satire. I mean, come on. So I took a picture of that and took his face out and put my face in there and said, I don't always tell folks about Jesus Christ, but when I do, some religious nut job usually screws it up. <laughs> woo <laughs> I didn't just kick that ant, man. I stomped all over it. And boy, they come running out, and they tried to bite me and everything like that. Oh, I mean, they were condemning me, and you wouldn't imagine the Scripture was thrown at me. It was horrible. It's kind of funny at some points. But they make up rules that don't mean anything, that have no biblical basis whatsoever. One of the guys, they said, well, you had a beer in your picture, and you're supposed to be a man of God. Ah, come on, get, a, get over yourself. He said, the Bible says it not to cause your, man, your fellow man to stumble. And this is what I told him, because some of you are thinking the same thing. They're like, but wait a minute, the Bible says don't cause your fellow man to stumble. But let me ask you this, I've got a good friend here, and I'm not going to look at her when I say this. It's not bad. She was addicted to Mountain Dew. You think, I, I worked with a guy that drank probably 12 to 18 Cokes a day. 12 to 18. And he, it, was, it was affecting his health. And when he tried to come off of it, he went through withdrawals. I'm talking about serious body shaking, sweating withdrawals. It was horrible. But yet they say, well, you had a beer on there, so you're causing your fellow man to stumble. No, I'm not. Because what would have I done? Would it have been okay if I would have put a Mountain Dew? And then she saw it and thought, oh, I've just got to go get me a Mountain Dew since Kevin put a Mountain Dew in a commercial. Or how about this? How about if there's some biscuits and gravy on that table? And somebody looked at that and started, oh, my gosh, biscuits and gravy. So they run down to the local IHOP or four dishes of biscuits and gravy polish all of those off, and then order a cheesecake and down it with 12 Mountain Dews. Did I cause that? No. No. If I'm walking around here, and some of y'all women are walking around with lust in your heart, and you look at my nice little booty, <laughs> I did not cause you to stumble. My wife makes me get dressed in the mornings. Okay? I ain't going to turn around right now. That might be making you stumble. But you see what I'm saying? Religious people will try to make you responsible for everybody else. Now, they're not responsible, but they'll try to make you responsible. And I asked one of them, I said, what would I have done if I would have put a rodeo queen on there visiting the sick in the hospital? Would that have been a sin? And they said, no. And I said, but what if, what if a guy that has, or girl, has a problem with pornography, looked at this very pretty girl in a sequined shirt, and then went and got on the internet and did all the things you know goes on like that, would that have been my fault? And he said, no. I said, so see, me putting a beer bottle on there, I don't cause people to stumble. Now, if you're an alcoholic, and you've been in treatment, and you're trying all you can to stop, and I invite you to go to the bar with me, and I peer pressure you into drinking, oh, come on, that ain't no big deal. Guess what? I'm causing you to stumble. Don't let religious hypocrites make you feel bad. You are not responsible for anybody except yourselves. Now, if you intentionally and knowingly that somebody has a problem and you try to make them stumble, yes, that is making them stumble. And that is a heinous sin. 